Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you that um, you've been so kind to us. And Lord, I, I think there's always a danger for us as a church to, to either be so dissipated by the things of the world. The Bible talks about men's hearts failing them for fear of what's coming on, that, that we, we end up looking at things and, and it can paralyze us and make us ineffective. And I think there's also a danger on the flip side of that, Lord, where we just kind of go about our lives and, and we don't see the things going on. And, and, and because of that, we can not be in our place. We cannot be at our post where you need us to be. But Lord, I recognize in your word that you have a plan. You are working in the earth today to bring things to a specific and a predetermined point, a predetermined end. When you sent Jesus, he came. And on that cross, all the evil was gathered up at one place, at one time, so that you could judge it. And the world is heading for another time of judging, a cleansing, when the, when you return and you sort the sheep from the goats and the new creation begins. And Lord, we want to be, we want to be those who work with you on that. We don't want to be those who are standing by wondering what had happened when it happens. But we want to be those who anticipate your coming, who know the times that we're living in and know what we should do as individuals and as a church. And so, Father God, I just, I ask that you would take us and, and in this, in this time that we have today, in the, in the message that you've prepared, that you've given me today to bring to the body today, Lord, I ask that it would sink deep into our hearts and challenge us to be those who are ready to move with you into the things that you have on the earth. So, Father God, I ask for utterance, Lord. I ask for utterance. I give us ears to hear, give us hearts to understand. And, Father God, help us to, um, on purpose, plant your words in our heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as some of you know, I've shared it before, um, Chi Alpha the college ministry here in town has been using our our church facility for baptisms and i love it I, and they actually been just doing it out here out in the parking lot because obviously we don't have a tank up in the, in the stage but it's where the closest church to where they're ministering and just last thursday they baptized another three college students can you come on give glory to god for that come on we we need to see we need to see revival in these college campuses don't we because you know the statistics are not on on our side as christians you know they they say the chi alpha people say that when when christians go to college only only 20% of them stay true to the faith through those college years that's 80% means they walk away from God during those college years. That's not a good statistic, is it? So I thank God for Brooke and Tyler and Kai Alpha who are out there ministering and rescuing people. Uh, and, and, uh, I mean, I'll tell you what, the Kai Alpha group, <laughs> they're not just like trying to 
hang on. They're on fire for God, man. They're on fire for God. And I, I love to see that. And I'm so honored that they, they come here and use our, our uh, facility. But because of that, my, my children have been, we started the conversation in our home again about baptism. My, my daughter is, uh, eight, almost nine. My son is six years old. And, uh, I have him in church this morning. Wave, wave. Okay. And, uh, they've been wanting to be baptized. And so we said, well, we'll do it. So we picked the coldest day in December. I'm just kidding. No, and we've opened it up. And, and Sarah, uh, in the back, wave at me, Sarah. Come on, she's going to be rebaptized today as well. And so we're just looking for a, a, a special time. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to bring bring a word. And then after church, we're all going to just walk outside or downstairs, however you want to do, just down to this lower parking lot. And, and we'll, we've got a very nice watering trough set up. That's adequate for baptisms, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So uh, please stay with us and be a part of that after after the service today. You know, as I was uh, preparing this, just thinking about different things, you know, in, in the early church, baptism was a big part of coming to Christ, you know. We, we have a... a you kind of develop different traditions. There's different things that seem to work in different cultures. And one of the things we do, you know, is we say, anybody want to be saved? Raise your hand. Bow, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. Raise your hand if you want to be saved. You know, repeat the sinner's prayer after me. And, and, and a lot of people, that's our experience, how we've come to Jesus Christ. And that's good. But in the Bible, what you see is they would just say, you need to repent of your sins. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus to save you. And then they would go and they would baptize them uh, as a public declaration of what God has done in their hearts when they called on his name. And that the baptism was a way that they would receive you into the church. And it would also be a public stand of your confession, your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in the early days of Christianity, when somebody made themselves recognized as a Christian through water baptism, they would have, they would immediately lose all their rights as a Roman citizen. Think about that. Oftentimes, as soon as they were baptized, their property was confiscated. They were no longer under protection of Roman law. Many places, many times they were even killed for becoming taking a stand for Jesus Christ. That's why the first 400 years of Christianity records 30 million, million people who gave their lives for God. 30 million people. That's what it means when we say the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And you know, it's the same today in many parts of the world. As I was preparing for this, I was reading about... Um, I, I found an article written by a missionary who reaches out to Muslim people. And, you know, it's, it's a real challenge for them in a way because they want to fulfill the scriptures, right? But when a Muslim gets baptized, it is a clean break from their family, from their culture. It's the same kind of treatment that the Romans got. For a Muslim to be baptized, it's a clear act of converting out of Islam and into Christianity. And I think sometimes we fail to understand the implications of this because in America, you can get baptized and there's no repercussions. Everybody cheers you. And if you ever quit living for God, the devil's just willing to take you back. But you go to a country like that, that's a once and forever. That's a clean break from the culture, from the tradition, from the religion of the state, man. And, uh, and uh, you know, to convert to Christianity in those countries means to convert socially, spiritually, culturally, and even legally. 
it's seen as a huge, irreversible step. And of course, it often leads to persecution from the mosque, from the family members. And so it's, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big thing. Yet believers all over the world, they take this public stand without apology. Instead, maybe you guys could cut the monitors off or something. I don't know where that's from. Is it my mic? Awesome. Thank you. So as serious as this is, you know, believers all over the world just go and take this public stand joyfully, willingly. Why? Because Jesus has done something in their hearts, right? And so I want to go to Matthew 28 with you, uh, starting at verse 16. I'm reading today out of a different translation. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says in verse 16 that the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the, the Lord here, he's, he's given his final instructions, right? He's telling them what he expects them to do. And he's giving them a, a glimpse, a picture, a snapshot of the power that he has. He says, I have been given all authority. Somebody say all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. I mean, what does that even mean? All authority. Where does that even end? You know, all authority. What are the limits to all authority? That's who you and I are serving. Somebody who has all authority authority. Uh, the word there in the uh, Greek is the word exousia. The King James translates it as power, but most of your other translations go with authority, which means, you know, authority normally means de delegated power along with the right to use the power. That's what authority is here. But John Phillips in his commentary, he said, in this context, neither power nor authority is an adequate translation. As the Lord used it here, exousia means all the right of absolute authority and the resources of absolute power. The resources of absolute power. That gets me excited. And so he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. That therefore right there, that connects your you and me the authority that we operate into his authority, right? It links our authority to his authority because as Lord of heaven and earth, we've been given authority to invade the nations with this message of Jesus Christ. You know, there's some who say, eh, we don't have the right to take the gospel into other lands. Keep it private. Keep it to yourself. But the truth is we have every right. We have a higher authority than what a culture might say, right? We have a higher authority. This is the words of Jesus Christ, the, the supreme authority. And we have every right to present Jesus as king to the world and expect every culture to bow their knee before him. We have a mandate that's higher than any political, human, religious, or economic power. And we've been sent to the nations to free them from the power of Satan, who holds millions in darkness. 
People are bound all over the world today in communism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, humanism, false causes. They hide behind science, right? Even different apostate Christian groups who used to be Christian and fallen away. There's all kinds of bondage and darkness all over the world. But we've been sent to go and bring the, the power and the presence and the word of the Lord to these places. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who they study, uh, 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 you know, anthropology and they study, they study cultures. They would say, well, what about preserving the culture? There's always a movement back to getting to the roots of the culture or to preserve the culture. I remember a few years back, um, uh, we were looking at the tribal culture in India that I think it was, I don't know that it was Rinkim's tribe, but it was one of the tribes up there in Northeast India. And they were trying to get back to their cultural roots, you know. So what about preserving the culture? I want to I want to give you an idea today that I want to present this thought and then I want to try to prove it just with some examples that God is always at work within cultures and his work within cultures always will point them to himself. So that means to me that the natural outworking of a culture is for that people group to come to Jesus Christ. You want to preserve a culture, you want to honor culture, fulfill the culture by bringing the, the culture to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what you were born for. That's what they are destined for. That's why he said, go out, they're, they're mine, go into all the world, get them. I had a friend um, years ago, and uh, he was part Cherokee Indian. And um, <clears throat> he, he was a Christian, but he had this sister who was at one time getting uh, into trying to find her Cherokee roots, you know. So I remember he sent me, he emailed me this uh, this whole write-up on on the, the Cherokee Nation and the Cherokee people. And honestly, it was interesting. I mean, but it was long. It was like real small print, five pages, single-spaced. And I'm reading it and I'm studying it. And uh, I remember some really cool things, like one of the one of the, uh, uh, the the buildings that the Cherokee Indians built for worship was the exact same dimensions as the temple of uh, the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? But she was trying to get back to her Cherokee roots. And he's like, what do I tell her? What should I do about this? And, and I said to her, I said, or to him, I said, well, just tell her, even if there is a connection to Judaism in your history of your, your ancestry, man, the Jews needed to be fulfilled by coming to Jesus Christ. So it's the same thing. You come to Jesus Christ and that'll be a fulfillment of everything that God is doing in your culture. Amen. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like an obvious answer to me. It's like, yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Um, my my wife is from northeast india and her her tribe has actually been recognized by the state of israel as the lost tribe of manasseh but they're all christians so they don't want to go <laughs> cuz you have to, if they if you go to israel they make you convert to uh, judaism but they're already completed amen but what's interesting is this even as their as their their history and and then their songs that their their ancestors wrote they've got this witness and of people coming through the sea and and worshiping one god and they came through china man they never worshiped the dragon they went to india and they and in northeast india they never practiced buddhism they never practiced hinduism cuz god was working in their culture to preserve them until 120 years ago when the missionaries came and they became christians and they didn't come become Christians in spite of their culture. They became Christians because of their culture. It was a natural conclusion because God had already planted a witness of himself in the culture. 
I read a book back in the 1980s. Yes, I'm that old. I know I don't look it. I look extremely young. The book was actually written, I think, a decade before that, so it's an older book now. But as a missionary named Bruce Olson, who when he was a teenager, against his, he's like 19 years old, against his parents' will, he goes to Venezuela and he starts working with this um, multi-lone Indian tribe down there, okay? Cut-off tribe, cut-off from the rest of the world. And uh, he starts evangelizing, he's working among them. Turns out that this tribe had a prophecy from one of their spiritual leaders in the tribe that, 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 that the whole story is they used to walk in the paths of God. They used to walk in the righteous paths, but they started following this evil man who led them off. But one day, a tall man with yellow hair would come carrying a banana stalk. And that the banana, out of the banana stalk, God would come and he would show them the paths that they should walk on. And so he's out there one day in the jungle and somebody takes a machete and cuts a banana stalk and, and the leaves just blade over. And he grabs his, his Bible and he's like, look. The bananas talk. And God opened that culture to that man, and they became Christians. Yeah. Not in spite of their culture, because of their culture. God planted a witness for himself in the world. Right? So I'm telling you, this is my father's world. Right? The world rightfully belongs to him. So Don Richardson is a man who wrote a book um, called Eternity in Their Hearts. I was really... Uh, really interested in this book because it, it talked a lot about some of the things that happened in Burma and northeast, northeast India. But the premise of this book is that God has placed within the cultures the key that will unlock the Christian gospel to that culture. And he's talking about, he, he opens the book with the story in the Bible in Athens. Remember when Paul went to Athens and he was preaching there and he said, you guys, I can see you're, you're religious in every way. And he says, I'm going to tell you, I'm looking around at your idols and I see this one that's, that says an inscription to an unknown God. And he says, I'm going to tell you what you're worshiping in ignorance. I'm going to declare to you today. And he preached the gospel starting right there. Did you know about 600 years before there was a plague in Athens? And they worshipped to all their gods and all their deities and the plague didn't lift. Finally, they said, there must be a God that we've offended and we don't know who he is. And so they got some spiritual man and they did a little thing where they let some sheep go out. They, they made him hungry and they said, if the sheep sit down instead of graze, we're going to assume that God wants us to sacrifice those sheep. And so as they went out, the sheep that sat down, they built an altar. They built like six different altars, I think, something like that. And they sacrificed those sheep on those altars to an unknown God. They didn't even know what they were worshiping. But what was God doing? He was putting a key in the culture. They offered the sacrifices, the plague lifted, and it was a, that was enshrined then in the story of that city. And so when Paul shows up, he had a, he had a foothold, man, a handhold to reach the culture for Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, God just, he, he drives his stake, man, and he takes claim of the whole world. You know, I think sometimes in the West, because of Western thinking and because how we're, we're trained to think, we try to be neutral about everything. I don't have to be neutral about Jesus Christ. Right. I don't have to start from some kind of higher intellectual place and weigh everything because Jesus has revealed himself and the revelation is beyond what I can understand with my intellect. But I look in history and I look at these cultures and I see him working. Amen. 
Psalm 2, verse 7 says, The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. This is a messianic passage. We're talking about Jesus. Verse 8, Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. The whole earth is his. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Amen. Revelation, you remember what's going to happen? <laughs> Can you remember something that hadn't happened yet? Remember what it says in Revelation about what's going to happen. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. Listen, every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation, come on, all nations, all people, all lands. Their Savior is Jesus Christ. Salvation comes from our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So I want to tell you just about a couple more if I can. Um, this is from the book. He continues and he documents in the book just numerous tribes in the northeast India and the Myanmar area. Um, this particular, the, the Karen tribe, the Mizo tribe, the Naga tribe, they all have stories in their folklore. They all have prophecies about a lost book. A lost book that will reveal God to them. I mean, and he goes in great detail. I don't have a lot of time, but, but, uh, they talk about this lost book that they used to have, but that somebody would come and restore to them. And so, you know, these groups, they're, they're up there are surrounded by Hinduism and Buddhism, yet they kept their cultural identity until the missionaries came and they're Christians today. I want to tell you one more for some people from uh, Myanmar. It's the Wa people, W-A. I love this story. It's, it's so crazy. They have this spiritual leader, and he saddles up a donkey, and he tells his followers, he says, I want you to follow this donkey, because this donkey is going to lead you. Um, how do you say? This donkey's going uh, <laughs> yeah, This donkey's going to lead you to a white brother who has the book of God. So they saddle up this donkey, and they start to follow him. This donkey walks 200 miles. They follow this donkey for 200 miles and it comes and it stops next to a well. And they're looking around wondering why they're here. And there's nobody around and they hear some noise in the well and they look down and there's a, a, a white man with blue eyes looking up at him saying, can I help you? And they look down there and they say, yeah, do you have the book about God? And they're like, well, as a matter of fact, I do. He's a missionary. He's, he was working with another people group there. And they said, well, we've got a donkey for you. We want you to come and teach us about God. He's like, well, I can't go now. My work here is too great. Let me train you and I'm going to send you back. And the whole tribe was converted. Again, because God is working in the culture. I mean, look, don't you believe that God has got keys that even though the enemy is looking like he's bringing such an onslaught of evil, at the same time, God is planning the key that will undo everything that Satan has tried to do. Come on, I looked at Revelations. All people, all tribes, all nations, all tongues. God is not done saving people in our culture. In our country, in our gen we need a representation of this na this generation before the throne of God. And so we need the key that God is already working. So when we go out in the authority of Jesus Christ, we're not trying to 
just make inroads on our own. We're working with God who is already making a way. God is working in the world to steer people, groups, and nations toward him. I've given all authority. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I've got to say this for the sake of my kids today. Where's my kids? I want them to look at me in the eye. I want to know you're listening. When you read the Bible and you get to the New Testament and you're looking at how they used to baptize people, the first person you come to is who? John the Baptist, right? He's the first one we read about in the Gospels. He came preaching the Gospel and baptizing everyone who had repented, who would come to him. And we have a neighbor named John. He's a very nice man. He goes to a Baptist church. And my kids call him John the Baptist. <laughs> the word baptize means to dip or to dunk or to immerse. That's what the Greek word means. It's In the Greek, it's baptizo. And for some reason, the translators in the, who made, translated the English Bible, they didn't actually translate the word. What they did was they transliterated the word. So they made a similar-sounding English word to the original Greek word. Had they translated it, it wouldn't be John the Baptist. It would be John the Dipper. Your Bible would read, In those days, John the Dipper came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. A few, a few verses later, you would read that Jesus then went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be dunked by John. But John tried to talk him out of it, saying, I'm the one who needs to be dunked by you, so why are you coming to me? We wouldn't have Baptist churches in the South. We would have Duncan churches. I guess we could have Baptist donuts or something. I don't know. <laughs> Baptized probably is a better word, I guess, than, than dunk. It sounds a little more serious, maybe. But uh, literally, that's what he was. He was John the Dunker, John the Dipper. But it does mean more than just getting dipped or immersed. What does it mean? It means I have accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. I've committed my life to following him. That's what it represents. Baptism tells the story about Jesus who died in my place and rose up again to new life so that in him I can die to my old life of sin and be made alive together with him. This is called the teaching or the doctrine of identification. Identificate, not like a driver's license or something. Identification means to, for a Christian, identification means that somehow God sees me in Jesus' story. So that when Jesus died, I died. When Jesus raised, I raised. And so when I go under the water, I'm giving, I'm recognizing that I am crucified with Christ. I'm buried with him in baptism and I'm raised together with him. I am identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. So that from heaven's viewpoint, when he died, I died. That's powerful. When he was raised, I was raised. You can see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. 
Since we have died to sin, how we how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You know, because Jesus died and was buried and, and raised, he went under, he went into that grave. He On the cross, he took all our sins, all our weaknesses. He buried, but when he came up out of that grave, man, he left that stuff in there, right? He didn't, that stuff didn't resurrect with him. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. You know, somebody dies of a disease or something. When they die, that disease dies, right? Jesus carried all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases, all of our sins and weaknesses in himself. And when he died, they all died. God pronounced judgment on that evil in the flesh, in the body of Jesus Christ. And when he died, it ended for us. When he came out of that grave, he left that stuff in the grave. And that's when we identify with him in baptism. We go under with all the baggage and stuff we've been carrying. But when we come up, we leave it in the grave with Jesus. Amen. His death was my death. Colossians 2.12, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. So the act of going under the water, which we will do today, represents what God has already done in your heart and in your life. When you repented and came to him, there was an unconditional surrender. Unconditioned means I give up, man. I'm not hanging. I lay down my life. That's it. You lay down your life to God. He raises you up and gives you the life he wants you to have. But you put your life on the table and you don't pick it back up. He picks you up and gives you the life he wants you to have. I think sometimes we lose that because we get we can get the idea the way we do it in America that now just pretty much add Jesus to your already basically pretty good life and you'll have an even better life. But no, you've got to, coming to Jesus means I die. My I lay it down. He'll pick it up. I don't pick it up again. So baptism then signifies our union with Jesus' death and resurrection. It symbolizes the end of my old life and the beginning of my new life in him. So water baptism then identifies me with Jesus. Why does that work? Because when Jesus walked on the earth, he identified with me. Jesus identified with me. Go back to Matthew chapter 3, 13. I read it earlier, but I, I messed up the words. I'll, I'll read the serious baptized words now. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it, saying, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? And Jesus said this, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So then John agreed and he baptized him. I got to thinking about that. You know, if anybody, John had a baptism unto repentance. If anybody did not need to repent, it was Jesus, Right? Do you remember when the people, the Pharisees came to Jesus, or to, not Jesus, to John the Baptist, and they were wanting to be baptized by him? And he wouldn't baptize them. He said, who warned you to flee the wrath to come, you bunch of snakes, you brood of vipers? That's what he said. He was hard. He would not baptize them. He said, go and bear fruit. 
in keeping with repentance. In other words, go let your lifestyle prove that you repented. Then I'll baptize you. That's what the baptism of John didn't produce repentance. It was because they repented that he came and baptized, right? So just like today, the baptism doesn't save you except for it, 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 it indicates that you have been saved. You've had an encounter with God and this symbolizes what you've done. But here's Jesus and, and, and John says, uh, or he says, baptize me. And he says, I, I, I'm not going to baptize you. You're perfect. You have no need of repentance. But what was he doing? He was identifying with me. He was identifying with sinful man. He was taking the sin of the world upon himself and going through. And he's, he's, he's giving a signal of what's going to happen on the cross. And so he submitted to baptism by John the Baptist. I want to talk to you for just a moment about what repentance means. Repentance in the Greek, it means a change of mind. But when you read it in the context, it's always a change of mind that involves turning from your sins and turning toward God. That's what it means. There's a story in the Bible, Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, what do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go work in my vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind. Here we go. He changed his mind and he went. There's a picture of repentance, right? Today, we would probably call that a change of heart, you know, rather than a change of mind. You know, come with me. I want you to come and be part of what we're doing. No, I'm not going. And then, you know, you go and the person shows up. You say, what are you doing here? I had a change of heart, a change of mind. I came in. But that's what repentance involves. It involves, involves turning from our ways turning to his ways, leaving our lives behind and looking to new life in him. So repent is to have a change of mind, this change of heart. It's come to the realization that what I am doing is not working. I was wrong and I'm willing to change. I need to change. And if anybody didn't need to repent, it was Jesus. And John the Baptist, John the Baptist knew this. That's why he said, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? But he was identifying himself with the people in need of repentance. He comes taking our problems, our weakness, our failure, and he identifies with that when he goes under the water that day. Because in a few years, he's going to go to the cross. And he's going to go into the grave, and that's exactly what he's going to do for us. So thank God I don't have to go through this alone. And he knows all of our experience. And he says, I'm, he says in the Bible, I'm crucified together with him. With him. In Matthew 4, 4, you'll remember the temptation of Jesus and the devil came and he said, uh, if, you're, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus say? He says, no, the scriptures say that people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I love that. I was reading that years ago and it just struck me so hard. Jesus is quoting this verse and applying it to himself. You know, most of your translations or your, your more word for word literal ones will be man does not live by bread alone, right? So what's he saying? He's saying, I am so identified with man, with humanity. I'm claiming this verse for myself. I'm 100% man. Yet we know he's 100% God, but he's so identified with us. The identity, that's just a fascinating thought to me that I can identify with him because he's so identified with me. So he's saying, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, I'm a, I'm a human. 
And I'm uniting myself with sinful man so that as a sinful man, I could die for all humanity. As the perfect man, identifying with sinful man. Let me get that right for somebody. She starts. I'm going to die for all humanity. So water of baptism signals my identification with Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for me because he first identified with me. And finally, I want to say this. Baptism is a commitment to discipleship. In John chapter 4, it's kind of a, the first three verses of John chapter 4, it's kind of a, a, a transitional verse here. We're just done with the conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3 and all that happened there. And we're going to the passage where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And it opens the chapter by saying that Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. So they were interested in John's ministry. Now they're interested in Jesus' ministry. And then it says in uh, verse 2, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. And so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So we're just setting up for the next chapter. Very, very brief uh, passage here. But look what it says, that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. This is how you make disciples. You baptize them. You baptize them. It was a mark. It was a sign of discipleship. So when people came to Jesus and wanted to be his follower, you know, they got dipped in the river and <laughs> that's what they did. It was a mark of discipleship. Look back at our uh, verse in Matthew 28. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say go and make converts. It doesn't say go and get people to say the sinner's prayer. It says go and make disciples. And what is the mark of making disciples, the public declaration, if you will, of becoming a disciple is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the, come on, this is what a disciple is, to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So how do you make disciples? You baptize them and you teach them to do all the things that Jesus commanded us to do. Amen? So water baptism, then, is a commitment to follow Jesus. And uh, is my wife here somewhere? Does she have to go out with the baby? Um, Matthew, if you would do me a favor, open my office door. There should be three Bibles sitting there, if you know about those. I don't know if she filled out the certificates or not. Abigail and Benjamin, would you guys come forward? And Sarah, too? Would you guys come on up here? I want to hear from you guys. In just a minute, we're just going to walk around outside of the building. And uh, I, I came here really, really early this morning and put hot water in there because I care about you guys. I can't promise you it's still hot, but it's not freezing. So you're welcome. Um, but uh, I just want to hear from you guys for a moment. And uh, did you get the, the Bibles? Okay, yeah, bring them, bring them to me. Um, I've got a certificate, and if we haven't filled it out yet, I'll fill it out later for you today but don't leave without it and we've got some bibles here that just we want to give you to commemorate this as well oh look at that she's on it look at that wonderful so sarah here's a commemorative bible abigail and benjamin look at this this is an adventure bible he couldn't wait. He's been reading it already. I said, you have to give it back before Sunday. And then in here is the certificate of baptism. For Abigail and for Benjamin. 
All right, and who's going to go first, Abigail? I want to be baptized because I want to repent for my sins and follow God forever. I want to, I want to be baptized because I want to follow God forever. All right. All right. And Sarah, I know you have something you want to share. Thank you guys for all the support you guys have given me over this time especially with everything that has gone on. When BJ told me to talk about this, I was scared just because I don't normally talk in front of people like this, but I will talk to you at church. So here we go. This is my testimony and why I'm getting baptized. As most of you all know, I have been through a lot, but I know God was with me and he showed me three different times that he did. The first time I saw a double rainbow. Now, this rainbow was the brightest rainbow I had ever seen, and it was over my mom and dad's home. One of the brightest rainbows that God showed me, that is God's promise. Then I heard the song, it was going to, everything's going to be all right. During that time, I didn't think everything was going to be all right. I didn't know if I was going to be okay. But when I heard those lyrics, and I heard it three times in a row, I knew, okay, this is my time. I was still having my trials, but I knew I was on the right path, especially after going to church and then Rick him praying over me. That's when God showed me you can move on from certain people and let go. And from there, let God handle it. I want to thank each one of you. I have told each one of you thank you, but thank you again for all the support that you guys have given me during this time. Thank you to my husband for never giving up on me and my children too. Thank you, my mom and dad, because they have never given up the last thing God showed me, which is this past week, is the number 1111. Now, that might mean a lot of things to some people, but to me, it means that you're on the right path. And here I go as a brand new me. God has me always. And thank you, God, for all you have done and protected me and my children and my family. And I take this and I claim this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, let me just go ahead and say a prayer uh, ahead of time, and then we'll go down there. And if you guys would just follow us around to the bottom of the building, we'll have a baptism. Amen. Amen. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for for what you're doing here. I thank you for the testimonies of, of Sarah, Lord, that you, even though she's gone through stuff, you've never let her go. And even though she's maybe uh, made some wrong decisions at times, you were always there. And you were always ready and always had a way to make a way for her, Lord. And I just thank you for that. I thank you for what you're doing in her life, Lord. And as a church, I just want to say we bless it. We bless it. And, Lord, we look forward to you continuing in her life and in this family, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, bring them into the fullness of what you have for them in Jesus' name. And, Father God, I pray for my kids, too. Lord, they're young. They're starting off in life. And I'm I'm so grateful and thankful of the excitement I see in them just to make this commitment publicly to you. Father God, bless them, Lord. Let them grow in 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 the uh, as it says in the scripture about Jesus, let them grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Let them know your ways, Lord. Let them walk in them always and bring them into the fulfillment of the destiny that you've placed within them. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, I just bless this church. 
I thank you, Lord, for just the lifeline that this church is uh, for many. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.